Hey everybody, welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Patrick. And we're here today for a Patisode. Yeah, it's a Patisode, man. And give Courtney a break after last week. Patrick has trauma from this case. This is your first true crime case. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Um, We're popping your true crime cherry. Really, we are. I've done (laughs) a few cases, but most of mine have been like paranormal, the cryptids, prison series. Yeah. This was the first true crime murder I covered. Welcome to the dark side, man. And I have to tip my hat to you for two reasons. Okay. One, I don't know how you do this. I do not understand your emotions you go through as you do these each week because your emotions change. And you've mentioned that like... I found myself getting fucking angry and distant doing this story. Yeah. It makes you a wee bit unstable. It makes you unstable. (laughs) And then on top of that, you always are like, when you finish, you're always like, Hey, let's go record. And I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to like, no, I need to get this off my chest. chest." And I'm like, no, I'm tired. And then today when I finished it, I was like, we're recording. And you're like, Oh, it's different for you. No, I understand a hundred percent. So I wanted to give you credit on that. Like I understand everything you go through with these. Yeah, no, it takes yeah, it takes you doing it to kind of and when you understand, really yeah, when I you think. really deep dive to the level that you do, which I try to even emulate a little bit, it takes you down some dark holes, and it is some serious shit that we you don't belong in. No, I don't. I, I really don't think we belong there. Human beings no. shouldn't be there. No, but yet here we here are. We are. <laughs> Welcome to the dark. Side. Welcome to evil pudding. <laughs> well, before we get to your um, case, yes. Uh, we have a new patron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love new patrons. We love so, y'all. welcome, Monica, to the Pudding Pod fam. Pudding Pod. It is so good to have you. And you joined the perf- perfect month, I would say. I mean, it's our first month having it. And we're really, well, it's October. It's spooky. It's October. It's spooky, spooky month. We're launching a whole bunch of new ideas and new things. We have a whole bunch of stuff coming out Patreon. this month that they'll get early access mm-hmm. to and live. Maybe even, well. Well, we already released episodes early each week on Patreon. I'll without keep the surprises to ourselves. Uh, we got some Halloween stuff coming up. Whoop, We're going to, eventually I'm going to get this uh, library of all of our episodes up without ads. It's just taking me a while to figure out the right, right way to do it on there. Yeah, so and I'm keeping track of all our new patrons because they're the ones who are patient and sticking with us while we were ourselves still learning Patreon. Oh yeah, we had we had a few, and, no doubt that signed up the first day we had it, and I'm like, I'm the only thing on there was a message for me saying like, I don't know what I'm doing. Stand by. Are you sure? <laughs> no, we appreciate you. We won't let you down. And also, you know, of course, we like to shout out podcasts that we love, and we yeah. have um one of the OG friends of the pod that I want to give some Ooh, love to. Which one? Um, Live Laugh Murder yes. Podcast. Yes. And uh, first, I'd like to talk about them because we've loved them, I think, since we've started podcasting. They've been OG friends with us, Um, but it's hosted by Carmen and Joanna, and Carmen is a true crime and scary movie enthusiast, much like myself. Yep. And Joanna is not so much. She's she's kind of like normal. (laughs) She's normal unlike the rest of us? Got it. She's so cute. So every week, Carmen tells Joanna a story, and at the end, Joanna has to guess if it's a true crime case or the plot to a scary movie. It's so unique. I love that premise, that idea. We've listened to them a bunch, and it's just always fun because you're like, oh, I know this movie, or like, I never heard this, and you're like, oh, that was real? And it's so funny because they're one of the only podcasts where we've played them 
in the car on a road trip. Remember when mm-hmm. we drove to Colorado with the kids? And usually they all have their headphones on, but the little one was like, now I like them. <laughs> yeah, she, she was like, I'm all about this. this uh, now good. I like them. So um, definitely check them out. Also, Live, Laugh, Murder is a Florida-based podcast, and they have been amazing about raising money to those affected by the recent hurricane. Yeah, absolutely. They've been very active about you know Hurricane Ian and the devastation it caused. So. Just awesome people. Uh, so before we play their trailer um i kind of wanted to do a quick promo of their they're doing um, a series about hh holmes i saw that and they it's their first multi-parter it's technically the second part that they uploaded and so i'm patiently waiting the the next part so um here's their trailer and make sure you check them out wherever you listen to podcasts and their handle on instagram is live laugh murder podcast on insta I'm Carmen. And I'm Joanna. And we want to introduce you to our podcast, Live, Laugh, Murder. On our podcast, I, Carmen, tell my co-host, Joanna, say, hey. Hey, girl. I tell her a story, and it is not always true crime. We are true crime with a twist. With a twist, like a twist. Got it. The twist here is that sometimes the stories I tell Joanna are true crime, and sometimes they are the plot of a creepy movie. So listen in and join us as we tease Joanna to see if she can figure out which is which, because she is not the creepy movie buff or the true crime enthusiast. Nope. And can you figure it out as well? Yeah. So that's us. Join us. Live, Laugh, Murder podcast, and we love you. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Okay, Pat. I'm ready to sit back and hear... The case that has given you so much grief. Yeah. I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm ready. Uh, so you've, you've heard this story. You and I actually listened to it. We listened to another podcast, cover it. It was a little different kind of a podcast. It was one of those reenactment podcasts where I they- I can't remember the name. They were reenacting all the things and all those things. And uh, it really stuck with me after we heard that story. Yeah. I, it stuck with me. Well, I can't remember the details of the case to the degree- Oh, we're going to get to the details. Okay. Okay. Because I don't think the podcast we listened to went into that much detail. No, and I was going to talk about that here in a second. But, you know, so obviously since it's October, and like we said before, it's our favorite month. We love scary shit. We love true crime. So I tried to keep it with a Halloween theme. Okay. Loosely. Very loosely. So today we're going to talk about something that has murder, vampires, and werewolves. Werewolves? Werewolves. I didn't know about the werewolves part. No, yeah. I'm kind of familiar. You'll remember it when we talk about it, but... um, yeah, like I said, this one's been sticking with me and I've wanted to cover it because it just has so many levels of what the fuck. Okay. From the beginning to w- the actual w- story w- yeah. to the end. And then afterwards, you just sit there and you're like, what the fuck did I just <laughs> listen to? Right? Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I'm saying the outcome of this story literally blows my mind. It blo- and you know that ending kind of. Mm-hmm. It's, what, it's just, seriously, what the fuck? The ending's the only part I remember, to be honest. Because it's hard to it's forget. Because it's so like, huh? Yeah. No, I did see that, you know, but a few other podcasts have covered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've listened. I listened to three of them actually. Uh, one's really big. We, we've talked about that earlier. Uh, some of the other smaller podcasts, mm-hmm. and really, no one has more than like 20, 30 minutes on this episode because it's really hard to find a lot of details. I scoured the internet literally for like two days, and all I could find was repetitive. You know, this is the basic story. This is the basic story. This is the basic story. Right? I came across a book called The Runaway Devil. Okay. Uh, by Robert Remington. Holy shit. So you were able to go on a deep dive with this. This is a 300-page book about this story. Okay. And he goes into so much detail. I left a bunch of it out, and I did that because of the way I wanted to tell this story, right? So 
part of the reason this thing has zero coverage or zero about it is because one, we're going to Canada today. So we're okay. going up, we're going up north to our neighbors. We're going to go visit Canada. Our friendly neighbors. And two, it involves children mm, or juveniles. They can't give so Canadian yeah. law is even worse than ours. They can't literally do anything. You'll see some of the things. Oh, so about there's that. a reason there's not a lot out there. There was nothing covered because on at this the thing. Time there was were... a basic news stories mm-hmm. and you know, even the, even the, the people's names weren't really supposed to be leaked out, but they were. So oh. it was really till almost a few years ago that the story really got divulged and came out. So it's pretty cool to kind of dive into it. Okay. Yeah, but I highly recommend that book. It's called The Runaway Devil. It's, that's runaway actually going to come into play later. It's a name to remember. Okay? I'm going to read it. We'll put it in the listening notes below. It's already, yeah, I have it noted with some of my other sources on there. It's down there. Go check it out. I think it was like $4.99 on Kindle when I bought it for. Perfect. It's worth the read. I'm not a reader. You can attest to that. Mm-hmm. I started reading it just for research's purposes, and then I read the whole damn book before I even wrote another I word. love books like that. I read a whole. I was fascinated, but I'm fascinated by this story. So Yeah. So I kind of, are you ready to dive into this? I'm ready. Let's go. So today, we will be traveling to Alberta, Canada, and we will be talking about the runaway devil and the medicine hat triple murder medicine hat this is the case that is thought to be the youngest person convicted of multiple first degree murder charges in canada's history holy moly like i said it is very widely known Mm -hmm. but it's also not at the same time right so i will preface this like we always do there are some trigger warnings in here oh i can imagine there's stuff involving children Mm -hmm. i will i will warn everybody right before we get to that so if you want to skip ahead you can because i know a lot of people don't want to listen to it children violence but in in actuality this entire story is extremely dark mm-hmm. it's extremely dark. it doesn't sound like a happy one. it is not a happy story okay so just give that warning out there for anybody that's listening and here we go we're gonna dive right into it so at around 1 p.m on april 23rd in 2006 mm-hmm. a boy named a six-year-old boy named gareth asked his mom if he could go play with his best friend his neighbor eight-year-old jacob richardson he called the richardson's house voicemail picked up his mom wasn't going to sit around and wait so she's like hey let's go out i think they went to the movies or something like that they went to the movies they came back gareth lit up like a christmas tree because he saw jacob's dad's new truck mm-hmm. parked in the driveway now Aww. they had one of those split driveways that the houses share yeah so it's really like a really right next to their house so he saw it he's like he's like mom mom can i can i please just go see if he's home so we can go play and she was like go ahead Aww. she walked back into the house almost immediately she turned around and gareth was standing there Sheet white, white as a ghost. Uh oh. He what he said was he saw bodies covered in blood through the through the basement window. No, and how uh, he said six. He was he was six. Oh, no. His mother was like, dude, I know you guys tell stories and play games and yeah. joke around, but he was just shooken. So she's like, all right, let's walk over there. And we're gonna take a look. Yeah, she surely walked, you're misunderstanding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, surely it's like you're you saw something wrong yeah. or your imagination's playing around because you're six. No, they walked over there. She didn't question him anymore. They walked up. She looked into the window and saw a man lying on the floor uh, with blood on his legs to his face, face covered in blood. Uh, She couldn't tell who it was. And then she could see behind the couch nearby was the bloody body of her neighbor, Deborah. Uh, So she immediately grabbed her son, dipped the fuck out, called the cops. Deuces. Okay. Oh my God. Trauma. Trigger warning right here. Okay. We're going to kind of briefly dive into what's happening in the house. Okay. So about 1.45 that day, four police officers made entry into the house. As soon as they entered the house, the police saw blood on the walls of the stairway leading upstairs and also blood smeared down the walls leading downstairs. Jesus. 
Yeah. Um, the house didn't look like it was in too much disarray. There was blood on the back door, but other than those blood marks, there wasn't too much going on. Uh, so the police decided to split up in two groups. Two were going to go upstairs. Two were going to go downstairs. You know, they don't know if there's bad guys in the house. They don't know what the fuck's in there. So they're going to split up and stay together in some ways. Uh, once downstairs, they immediately saw the body of a woman. Uh, it was Deborah Richardson, age 48. She was propped up awkwardly against the back of the couch, naked mm. from the waist down, Ooh. and she was surrounded by blood. Just past her was the body of a man, her husband, 42-year-old Mark Richardson, laying in a pool of blood. Oh, no. He had what looked like multiple stab wounds all over his face and body and even defensive wounds. Uh, and when the officers turned the lights on, they realized the room itself had been painted in blood. It had blood splattered and sprayed from the floor to the walls to the ceilings. The nearby TV had wall, had blood on it. Exercise equipment had blood on it. Literally everything in this room was was covered in blood. Oh my god! These two officers, you know, they're fucking shook. They're like, well, holy yeah. fuck, right? They probably don't see a lot of stuff like this. Yeah, they had no idea about the horrors that waited for them upstairs. So as the other two officers, you remember, they split up, mm-hmm. are following the blood trails upstairs. They first pass a girl's bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, and it was clean. You know, it looked like a typical teenage girl's bedroom. You know, stuffed animals, mm-hmm. pink shit all over. You know, kind of like, our, like our daughter's stuff, pink right? Shit. <laughs> pink shit all over the walls and whatnot. <laughs> uh, and as as they were walking, they didn't see anything out of place in this room. So they're like, okay, that's that's a good sign, right? Mm-hmm. There's still blood on the wall, so that's weird. Uh, in her room, in, there was not in her room, just on, oh. the, on the stairway coming up. Um, sorry about that. I didn't mean to mislead you with that. No, you're fine. So one of the officers, uh, Officer Sekondiak, he would walk into the next room, and he would be hit with a sight that would forever haunt him and change him. Inside the room, on the bed, was the body of an eight-year-old boy. No, covered in blood. Room covered in blood. Floors, walls, ceiling, even on his toys, his Pokemon cards, <gasps> everything. The boy had been stabbed multiple times, and his throat had been cut. No. Yeah, it's bad. Thank you for um, getting that out of the way early. We'll talk about it again a little bit later. Oh, my That's God. That's going to be kind of a horrific reoccurring theme that I try to stay away from, but it's so important. It, yeah, I mean, you have to because that's huge. As but. the uh, Yeah, so, I mean, these cops are like, holy shit, and they just found this, this little boy in this scene, right? One of the worst things you can imagine. I think I would have had to run out of the house if I were them. They did. Yeah. They kind of had to collect themselves. Baby. And kind of really kind of process what's going to regroup. And then they started talking to neighbors mm-hmm. because they had this girl's room that and there's no fucking girl untouched. There's no girl, no one in there. Right. So they, they find out that the room actually was for the family's 12 year old daughter. Her name is Jasmine Richardson. Okay. You will hear me refer to her as Jr. throughout because that's how almost every story was told because of her age at the time. Right. Almost every story lists her as Jr. They used her initials right. to protect her. Um, identity. So I, I'm going to refer to her as Jr. Okay. Because that's what every story I read had her is. But this, this room belongs to their 12-year-old daughter, Jasmine Richardson. Uh, she was missing. So the police began to search the rest of the house, the area, uh, and they couldn't find her. Uh, at first hand, they thought, me, thank God she wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as the day went on, no one could find her. So then they started to fear that she had been abducted by the killer. Yeah, that's what worse. I would have thought. So where, where the fuck was JR at this point? Yeah. That's what they're wondering. Now we got the scene set, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, fucked up, right? Uh, let's kind of learn about the Richardson family. Let's kind of yeah. learn about these people, these victims of this crime. Who were they? Where'd they come from? What's going on with them, right? So Mark and Deborah Richardson and their two children, Jasmine and JR, I'm sorry, Jasmine or JR and Jacob had only been living in this house in Medicine Hat for a few years. It's it, cute. They gave their kid both J names. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and it was, uh, this is kind of the dream home the couple had been dreaming of for like 15 years. Oh. 
See, Mark, the father, had just received a promotion in oil and gas for his technician job. Oh, wow. So this area I found out was real big in oil and gas. Right. Um, so he was, he was he'd been working in oil and gas for years, but he finally got a big promotion, Good got to him. move out there. They even moved the family out there. They, like, they paid for it and everything. Um, the company did? Yeah, the company paid for it. But their lives prior to Mess and Hat were kind of a stark difference from the suburban perfect family they kind of, everyone thought they were. They were just a happy, great family. Oh. Their lives were never like that till this point. Not picture so, perfect? No, not at all. So Mark had been much wilder in his younger days. Okay. Uh, he was an avid motorcycle rider. And by the time he was 23 years old, he had entered into substance abuse programs. Oh, no. Rehab, basically. Deborah was also a recovering addict herself. Oh, wow. And the two would meet at a gym, apparently, and uh, in 1990. And by 1991, the couple was married. Oh. In 1993, the couple gave birth to JR, their first child. And then three years later, Jacob was born. And they were both in recovery at this time? They had been out of recovery at this point. Okay, but they weren't using. No, no, they were. They actually, so we'll, we'll get into it, in but they're really big into the recovery scene and helping Good people. Good for them. So they got themselves clean. They met each other. Aww. They kind of fell in love. Well, they fell in love. Yeah. They had two kids, and they're, you know, life's kind of working its Good way back them. from where they were. After Jacob was, or right before Jacob was born, I'm sorry, the family moved to Okotoks, Alberta. Mm hmm. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I'm sorry, people from Canada. You can correct me. Well, you know not to ask me. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're worse with those. Um, but I, I didn't know this, but this suburb area was the so-called Houston of the North in Calgary. Wow. I guess because it's an oil and gas mecca. Yeah. So I guess like that's us what it here. is. So yeah, it's just like us in Houston where the oil and gas mecca. So I guess this was them up north. Um, when they first moved here, times were, were, were tough as Mark made his career starting out in the oil field. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming he didn't start at a very high place coming out of you know, a world of narcotics and alcohol abuse. He probably probably started on the rigs. Maybe. I was about to say he probably started on the rigs or something yeah. like that. Good um, for him. You know, but the family even had, it was rough for them. They even had to go to a food bank for food. And Deborah even said, she didn't give a shit. She no. said, I don't care. I'm feeding my kids. I don't care. I'm going to feed my kids. Right. So she had no She's shame in the game. She had no shame in the game, but obviously. Good for her. Times are a little rough, right? Oh yeah. So, Mark and Deborah actually spent a lot of time, like I said, with Narcotics Anonymous. And Deborah actually became a mentor and a sponsor. And wow. it was really said throughout the community that they were examples of recovery success. And they spent a lot of time and effort helping others with drugs and alcohol try to overcome their addictions. That's amazing. So, I mean, by all standings, fucking good people right here. Well, they say a lot, you know, that that's a lot of people's part of their recovery is to, it's healing to help other people. And it really it is. Very, helping other people is very much a healing Absolutely. It, for, it's a self-healing. I mean, it shouldn't be the, the reasoning behind it. Oh, no. But it definitely helps you heal. So obviously, they're healing and they're doing better with this, right? So then, it was about 2003, roughly, the family's luck changed and Mark was moved to Medicine Hat as part of his promotion. And like I said, the company paid for it. Uh, so they moved him to Medicine Hat. They bought their suburban dream home in the neighborhood of Ross Glen, uh, which had been a stark contrast to where they were before. Like I right. said, see, this was a, a prairie city, ideal for raising families. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a smaller town. It's much more personable than some of the larger areas with oil and gas they had been. The home had a back deck, a fenced yard, probably a white picket fence. Was separated from neighbors, unlike all the other apartments they've ever lived in. So they've never lived in anything but apartments. Oh, they were in apartments before. Okay. Yeah, so now they have, like, a house with no neighbors right on top of them, their, yeah. wall, their own yard. Their backyard. So it's truly like a dream home for them right yeah. here. The house even had a large tree in the backyard with a rope swing, and it said the kids would play at it all the time. Oh. They were always out there playing on it. It's idyllic. Right. And it, it's that picture-perfect idea of a yeah. suburban home. And Deborah was thriving in the new community. 
Uh, she had started her own home business and even built out a holistic therapy studio in her basement. Go Deborah. So she was, so she was really spiritual. Doing the damn thing. She used things like crystals and meditation. She was into Wicca. Okay. A bunch more of the, those alternative, alternative yeah. beliefs, but right, right. much more in the healing. Yeah, it was probably a part of her positivity. That probably where she got it from, mm-hmm. honestly. She was described as having a bright personality, an engaging smile. She was supposedly she was. I mean, I've seen pictures of her. She was beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. Oh yeah. She even won a makeover contest on the radio while they were there. Go off. She's so, just thriving like, here. Through a friend, she got hooked up with the contest, and you know, she's thriving. She's doing great. The whole family's doing great. You know, Jacob was this class clown type kid in kindergarten. Like he was just a goofy little kid. Uh, yeah. Fun loving. Loved Star Wars and pretending to be a Jedi with his little toy lightsaber and stuff. And by all accounts, like I said, they were just normal good family. people, mm-hmm. normal family. Really didn't have any demons in the closets. No. Nothing bad haunting them. I mean, they just... They worked through all the demons they, they worked, did have. They did the healthy thing. They worked through it. So awesome. They got in a better place. So there's really nothing bad coming from their background. Mm-mm. Like Deborah, their daughter JR had an infectious smile, as they said. She had piercing blue eyes, long dark hair. Uh, but she was often perceived to be a lot older than she was. Oh, she looked older. She was about 12 at the time, uh, but people said she could easily pass for 15, 16, even, even up to 18. Okay. Kids um, nowadays look older to yes. me. So, but around when, her 10th birthday, when the family moved to Medicine Hat, she was in fifth grade in Catholic school. She was an honor student, had no problems making new friends. Her new close friend, Aubrey, described her as a kind and gentle person when they met. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two were inseparable. Like, they would watch movies. They'd go down the street to the 7-Eleven because I was, like, a kilometer away from her house. How old was she? She was 12? She was 10 at this point. She was 10? What year was this? Uh, It was right when they moved there in 2003, I believe. Oh, 2003. Okay. And, yeah, like, the 7-Eleven was just down the street. Yeah. So, literally less than a kilometer. So, they would walk down there, go get Slurpees. Yeah. They'd go to the mall all the time. You know, kind of stuff they do in a small town. Right. When no one's really worried about safety and those kind of things. It feels safe to walk down there, especially with a friend. Absolutely. She, you know, she loved spending time by uh, with her little brother. By everyone's accounts, they were mm-hmm. they got along great. They played all the time together. She loved playing with him. That's rare. Uh, and they had a good relationship, which is really it is right. You're talking about a 10, 11 year old girl and her little brother. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never that's some of the worst fights we've broken up we between broken our up. girl and our boy. Yeah, we broke up many of fights when they were in that age, and they were not pretty. Uh, let alone if they even like hang out with each other. Scared to stick your hand in there. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they wouldn't even be in the same room with each other without fighting. I know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, JR had developed at this time. She kind of just developed an interest in her mom's ideas and kind of became okay. interested in Wicca. Wicca. Don't forget, she goes to Catholic school. Yeah. She was dabbling these things from, but they were kind of far off from her formal religious schooling, if you want to call it that. Oh, for sure. So she's dabbling all this stuff because her mom's doing it in the basement, doing all mm-hmm. these things. And so she's kind of interested, right? Um, she even made a pentagram and hung it on her wall and not for like the satanic pentagram, but the... It's one of the main symbols in Wicca. Right, right. So that's what she put on her wall. Um, sometimes people construe that with Satan. Satan in this story, and it's not the case. Uh, but by the end of her sixth grade year, her and her friends really started to question everything. Mm-hmm. Starting to get to that, that age. That age, right? Question it they all. even questioned religion. Uh, and one friend would even go on later to say that they were all frustrated with God and religion. They would sit there and say things like, How can God let people be tortured if he loves us so much? Yeah. But their friends actually noticed JR was a little different. They mm-hmm. said she not only questioned, but she just fucking had no desire to even think about God. Yeah. Like she had just shut him out at this point. Like she's Well, it's not how she's being raised, so she's it's like a non issue, right? No, I mean her her dad comes from a, a stout 
Catholic family. Oh, okay. I'm her sorry. Her mom's just dabbling in these things. As, like you said, as part of her recovery, she started with it, just kind of right. stuck with her. Uh, she's in Catholic school. Okay. And now all of a sudden she hates God. Okay. Or not necessarily hates him, just as one doesn't want anything to do with him. Right. So that's, okay. a, quick, that's a quick transition. Yeah. Over maybe a, not even a whole grade. Right. And like I said, her friends were like, yeah, this question shit. Do you think that it was like an anger almost? Or was it just questioning it and like, I, I think don't. It, I think it started out as just questioning it mm-hmm. and then it was cool. So she just kind of took it to the next level. You'll see she like tries to be cool and live into these cultures, oh, okay. but she kind of fucking escalates shit when she does it. Okay. Uh, and you'll see that real short, real shortly. Um, okay. Yeah. She, I mean, she had no desire for it. Right. So as right. most teens at that age do, they grew a bit more wild and challenged mm-hmm. authority. They even started associating with the small goth crowd uh, at the local mall. See, JR had always been artistic, mm-hmm. and that's actually what really drew her to the goth scene. Right. Was the artisticness of it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the lyrics, the poetry, the, the art, the coloring. Same. <laughs> it was um, like that. <laughs> so her and her friends started wearing all black, oversized hoodies, chokers, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. They started mm-hmm. listening to heavy metal, and I can't blame them for okay. that, right? You know, one of their favorite groups was the Misfits. and but that was Yes. Yeah, but again, that was mostly because of the artwork. Yeah. Of like a lot of the Misfits cover albums, you know, the infamous Skull photo. Right. And all those things. So they started going into that. By about the summer of 2005, so we were just in the grade of sixth grade in 2005 when she mm-hmm. was changing, right? So about the summer, Deborah noticed her daughter was developing much more quickly physically than okay. the others' girls. Okay. And JR struggled with that. She struggled with being, you know, I guess advanced developed or overdeveloped That's compared really to her friends. That's really hard as a, as a girl who did – you know, I've been like the size I am now since I was in like fourth grade. And when you just wake up one morning and you're a woman, it's like, that's, that messes with your head, man. No, a hundred percent. And I'm, it's crazy. I mean, she even awkwardly was quoted or people said she awkwardly skipped the teenage preteen years and just became a young woman. Yeah. And that happens to some girls and that messes with you. Yeah. And that's where my next point was, you know, I, I didn't know this and I actually looked into it and the studies do say that girls that mature physically mm-hmm. and hit puberty earlier right. are more prone to acting out and can be depressed, moody, sexually active, defiant, and delinquent. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot for a little girl to you. deal with. It, 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 with it does. It really does. For um, lack of a better term, it does. And it was that same summer that, you know, JR really started to show these signs. She mm-hmm. really started to do these kind of things. Uh, and eventually, it's 2006, was huge at the time. A- AOL chats. Motherfucking MySpace. MySpace. That's right. And social media. This was really the first boom of social media, right? Yeah. So she joined social media. Let's put it that way. Was, um, AOL, was I wrong? Was AOL, AOL chat? Was, AOL was still a thing back then, I believe. Okay, okay. I didn't want to. I'm like, did I just miss that whole? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it was still there. But yeah, MySpace. Um, it was about to be phased out because we were about to get into social media messaging and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, okay. So she was, she was not only going to join these sites, but she enjoyed, you know, being able to portray herself differently. Oh yeah. It's awesome. You could be who you want to be online, especially for a teenage girl. So on one site, she portrayed herself as a bisexual that didn't list any age or anything like that. And I remember she looks 12, Mm -hmm. but she also, the reason I bring this one up is she also posted a photo of herself in black and white. It mm-hmm. is now infamous. If you search her name, it is the first picture you will find. It is of her at 12 years old. I'm going to search it. Holding up a pistol. Okay. A pistol? A pistol. Okay. Like I said, if you Google this, this will be, if not the first, but the second image that comes up when you Google Jasmine Richardson. Oh, there. Wow. See? She's 12 years old in that picture. She's 12? That's what's correct. She doesn't look 12. 
She looks about no, 17. No, she looks, I would say, about 18, 19, yeah. Now. Pretty girl. She went on MySpace at the time, and she claimed to be 16 on MySpace, because I think you had to be 15 or something like that. To get on. To I get, don't get on. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but you remember on MySpace, you could customize your page, list all your interests. Get my all profile things. songs were profile always songs. the best. Your top well, eight. Well, she listed, uh, like her, her, her likes on here, she listed were Hatchets, Human Anatomy, Mm-hmm. Blood, serial killers, mm-hmm. criminal psychology. So, kind of like you. I was gonna say, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't say but the rest. This is where it gets worse. Not hatchets. <laughs> she also listed things like, and I quote: mm-hmm. "She liked kinky shit." Oh, you're twelve, honey. You're twelve. Go play with your dolls. <laughs> and like, I, I mean, I literally have it written right here. Please remember, this girl is twelve. So this entire story that I'm telling you, this is a child of 12 years old that this is all going on with. It's it's hard for me to remember that she's 12 when you say Just wait. Hatchets. By the end of the story, you think she's like 30. Serious it's crazy. Covers. Wow. She also listed some of her favorite bands on MySpace, like we said. Okay. Um, Marilyn Manson, Cradle of Filth, mm-hmm. a lot of darker heavy metal bands at that point. Uh, her school at this time started to see her new interests, mm-hmm. and they started to notice the change from this quiet you know, shy girl, nice girl. I mean, she got full on change here. I mean, she's going to school in all black, wearing chains, really short skirts, mm-hmm. fishnets, spike collars, heavy black eye makeup. And I sent, you know, we have, we have pictures we're going to post up. I don't know if you've looked at them yet. One of them I sent you was, there's a picture of her without all that stuff when she was before all that stuff. It's just a stark it's a str- contrast. And then there's one picture yeah. of her in her dress Which, garb or whatever you want to call it. She looks like pure evil. And she's like fucking evil. There's anymore. nothing wrong with the way that style by any means. I think you and I. No, we were both dabbled in it and whatnot, but this is just such it, a contrast in a short a, period of time. For somebody so young, it's a very stark contrast. Yeah, that's what we're saying. And it's so weird. quickly that it happens. It's it happens not weird, like but throughout it's, one grade. It's. It's kind of showing that something else beneath the surface is boiling mm-hmm. over, I would say. And that's the best way to put it in this story. And she got, at this point, like right here, she, she started making friends with the darker goth teens at the mall and the older goth teens. Mm. Uh, she made friends with some fellow goths by the names of Tra- Trenchcoat and Raven. It sounds very they sound like crow. fucking upstanding citizens. <laughs> Trenchcoat um, and Raven. <laughs> Trenchcoat was, in fact, about 20 or 21 years old. Oh. And Raven was 19. Why are you hanging out? With a 12-year-old Because girl. this girl does not look 12. It doesn't matter. She's 12. A lot of them know about this later on. Mm-hmm. They still don't care. But oh. an initial meeting, she looks closer to Raven, who's 19. She looks close to his age. Okay. I mean, she looks, even 17 is only a two-year difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we'll see more about the age thing later. And they all became quick friends with JR. Like, they loved her because she was just, like they said before, she just had a good personality and everyone was easy to make friends with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where things started to get even darker. Okay. So JR now joins a website called vampirefreaks.com. You okay. know the site. Yeah, on it all the time. Yeah, right? I've never heard of it. Just logged off to record um, this. <laughs> she stated that she was 15 years old on this site, and her username was X underscore killer underscore kitty underscore X. Oh. Yeah. That's and, a very AOL screen name. It is. And I don't know if that translated to Vampire Freaks or not or not, but I don't know. There was, there, there was multiple other accounts and websites and, and things she signed up for. I didn't go into detail listing all of them. Like I literally list like given us an 20 idea. of them and post and like she wrote oh, yeah. essays on them. Oh, I'm sure like, she what was the hell? very active, but she was very much of that emo. Yeah. Kind of outpouring at the time. Right. Right. She did. However, on most of the other sites go by the username runaway devil, runaway devil. 
Okay, hence the title of the book. And it was that username that she would take to sites based out of Canada where she would post dark poetry, mm-hmm. stories, quote, heavy metal, and just all the, the She's emo-ish. probably, if I had to guess, she was probably a really talented writer and She probably artist. had a good artistic side to her. Yeah. Uh, I've seen her writing and drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen her penmanship. It's fantastic. Wow. The, I've seen some of her drawings, which we'll cover later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you actually have the photo of them. It's not bad. Uh, I don't know if you want to get there right now because it's dark. Okay. Hang on to that. Don't don't get there yet. Yeah, you'll you'll miss out on the good part. Okay, I'm not. (laughs) So with her new crowd uh, and changed interests, it would be a meeting shortly after her 12th birthday that would literally fucking set things in motion that would remind you of a fucking movie. Mm. So like our friends over there, where where it's guess guess if it's a murder or true crime, Mm -hmm. if I told you this story, you might think it was a movie. It's just insane. So Carmen can use this one. Possibly. So (laughs) while hanging out with her friends one day at the food court, a young man showed up in all black and black eyeliner. Ooh. JR was introduced to 22-year-old Jeremy Steinke. Steinke? Steinke. Steinke. Um, Everyone calls him Stinky. I know. It sounds like you're saying stinky with an accent. Yeah, I mean. Steinke. People, people around him didn't call him I'm Stinky. Assuming, but everybody else, we all call him Stinky because we hate him. I'm assuming we can make fun of him because I'm assuming he's not a great person. So it's he, okay to bully him. He's not. But now let me tell you a little bit about your, his story because you might have a different tone Okay. about his story. You know, on Evil Pudding, one thing we love to do is tell the backgrounds. Deep dive into their backgrounds. What makes these losers tick? What makes them become what they are? Yeah. Are they born this way? Mm-hmm. Did something happen to them? I mean, how our name, our name comes from the first one. We talked about someone who had so many head injuries. We said, I wonder what it looked inside inside his head. And I was like, evil pudding. That's, <laughs> that's where it came from, right? Don't judge him yet. Okay. Completely. Okay. He's not a good dude, but don't judge him yet. <laughs> so he did not share the loving, happy childhood that JR grew up with. Okay. So Jeremy grew up with his mother, Jacqueline May, and his abusive alcoholic father. Jeremy's father would beat him when he would come home at night with a belt and then drag him to his room by his ear. Was he a drinker? Oh, yeah. yeah he said alcoholic. alcoholic. Sorry, I missed that. Jeremy's two. What? At the time. Slightly older than two. He would then, his parents would have a sister. And shortly after she was born, she was four years younger than Jeremy. So this is four years later. His parents split up. Mm-hmm. His mom was like, you are a mess. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. He'd rarely see his father, maybe in summers, uh, and it was just him and his sister and his mom. You know, later on, she remarried, and her new husband had three three children. So they have three new step-siblings and a new stepfather. They all move in together. Yay, happy? No, not the fucking least. This wonderful man would mass punish these five kids. Mm-hmm. If he thought one of them did something wrong. Everybody got punished. Or if he thought one of them was lying, he would line them all up and smack and beat their hands with a paint stirrer. <gasps> Holy shit. It's not, it's not, yeah. Yeah. According to Jeremy, his father would, or stepfather would mentally or mercilessly abuse them physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. He would even bind them up or tie them to like a chair and force them to watch the other kids get beaten and abused. What did his mother do during all this? Nothing? Nothing. She really didn't do anything. She finally left him. Okay. Well, that's something. She leaves him. She marries her third husband. Okay. He is no better than the first ones. Oh. He also (laughs) beat Jeremy um, several times. He was injured. In the head mm. because of this. One time, his I think his, his stepfather slammed his head into a, a refrigerator. Jesus. Or, or a freezer. I can't remember which one it is. And there was another time where his mother described that 
Her husband was uppercutting Jeremy in the face and pounding the back of his head. So Jeremy's mother was obviously no picture perfect parent, right? Her picker was just broken. How we off, often well, she also say that? Fucking drank a lot. Oh, okay. She, I mean, she was a flat out fucking alcoholic. Yeah. So Jeremy literally grew up in a life of alcohol and violence. He, yeah. He was have a good start. ruthlessly bullied in, in middle school. He just never caught a break, did he? No, and I think. Yeah, they didn't say why he was bullied. They just say he was. One I, one, I know that they called him stinky like everybody else does now. Oh, I'm sorry. I did that now. But I think, you know, as I go through the case and all these things, and you can assess it later, I think he was slower mentally than some of the other kids. Now, whether that's from the head injuries or other things, I don't know. I would assume it was from the head injuries. But yes. he is 100% emotionally and intelligently way younger than all the other kids his age. Okay. Well, they. what do they always say? You know, when That's, you that have comes a with traumatic, a in a traumatic experience. You, As a child, you, you, you stay at that age. You stay at that age of your trauma right, mentally. So if you were eight when this traumatic event occurred, you're mentally staying You're mentally not going to progress without the proper, you know, Proper care and help, care. which he's not going to get. He's not going to get. That's really sad. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was around life of alcohol and violence. I mean, that's all he knew growing up, literally yeah. since he was a baby. Yeah. He, he, he even took in the violence. He brought, he partaked in the violence. Sometimes well, that's good. all he knew. Well, sometimes good and sometimes bad, right? Yeah. One time he actually stood up for, him, for his mother, her one of her other boyfriends, mm-hmm. had fucking punched her and broke her cheekbone. Wow. So Jeremy fucking chased him around the house with a fucking lead pipe, oh. eventually breaking the dude's arm and hitting him with it. Good. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got some fight to him, too. So don't, yeah. he's not ashamed of violence. He was only he was raised in 12 it. or 13 at this time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's not, not exactly like afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and he did dabble with the goth com- the goth community when he was about 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And he became really fascinated with things like werewolves, vampires, all these stories, right? Many professionals believe it was his way of coping and escaping. I would agree with that. Which most of us, I think, would agree with that. But he, he kind of, again, went overboard with it a little bit. Took it too far. Yeah. So he, uh, he would be seen wearing a vial of blood around his neck and claimed to be a 300-year-old werewolf. Oh, my God. Like, in public. Later in his life, he posts things and says things to people like, don't go into the woods tonight. It's a full noon. I don't want to have to kill you. He really thought that he was a 300-year-old. I think he really did think so. You know, him and his mom moved around a lot. He never mm-hmm. stayed in school. Admittedly said he could never make friends. By about the time he was 14, he was drinking and smoking weed. Uh, then he eventually progressed to ecstasy, acid, mushrooms. Later in life, he gets down into cocaine and other things. Uh, one time he passed out when he was 15 years old because he drank so much. But he ended up in the hospital because he passed out outside and got hypothermia. Jeez. I don't know why CBS or whatever Canada has wasn't Didn't involved at there. that point. Yeah. But his mom even admittedly said that he smoked weed every day just to deal with his ADHD. So mm-hmm. he has ADHD, it's documented. Yeah. But she said he did that just to function. He would smoke all the time. Uh, he even told his mom that he had a half-assed attempted suicide when he tried to hang himself. Oh, no. And that he didn't want to live. He wished he was dead and wished he was never born. He had also at this time become a cutter. And no one... Um, Mom's not going to get him any fucking help. Yeah, that, that was my next question. No one ever got him any help. And he didn't have friends, so no one noticed drastic changes or any problems with him. You know what I mean? So he really was kind of alone. Then in 2000... I'm sorry, he eventually dropped it's out really of high school. Yeah, he eventually drops out of high school and then bounces living between his real dad and his mom. Back and forth, back and forth. At one point, he tries to better himself. Mm-hmm. It's really brief, so I didn't put it in here, but he does try to go back to school through the college and get his... GED. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he drops out of that too. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have any guidance or anyone to hold him accountable. He's a mess. He's, he's a mess mentally, emotionally. And there's no one to there's, be like, look. There's no check on him. There's no checks and balances. But yeah, in his there's life. no checks and balances. To your point, he doesn't have a parent figure that's really parenting him. 
I think they're just kind of kicking them back and forth at this point when they don't want them or whatever. But, so uh, sad. Yeah, it is. And in 2005, and remember, we always talk about this on the show. We feel bad for the child, not the person not, they become. Not the not person the, they not become. Not the person they end up. We always feel bad for the child, though, because the child doesn't. They don't deserve this. Deserve this or have all ability to choose all this stuff. So in 2005, he moved in with his mother again after living with his dad. But this time, his mom was charged with stabbing her then on and off again boyfriend. And then she violated a restraining order to not see the guy that she stabbed because she kept seeing him. Was it self-defense? Or do you know? You don't know the details of that? I think it was just a drunken stabbing from the sound of his mom. A fight and that escalated or something? Because she went back to him. She kept oh. trying to go back to him. She, kept, she, actually, she got in trouble for violating the rules of her release or parole for stabbing him by going chasing after him. Hard to say what was Like I said, on. and this is what's so hard about this. There's not a lot documented that yeah. I could find. I'm not saying there isn't somewhere. We're definitely guessing here. But there's not a lot documented about some of these parts of these stories because the ages and the Canadian laws and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. So his mom, even her treatment, she had to go to treatment and counseling as part of her arrest for alcohol. Yeah. It didn't, didn't even slow her down. She's mm. fucking drunk. Like fucking she fish. wasn't ready. She wasn't ready for you it. You gotta be she ready. She didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And needless to say, Jeremy did grow up in turmoil, like we just talked about. Yeah. It would even spill over into his dating life uh, when he was, I think he was 17, and his girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they split up, and she said after that, I just seemed, saw him dating younger and younger and younger girls. And I'm not excusing that, but it probably where he was, Again, who is there he a identified with. issue there? Maybe that's why he that bonds age? so well with them. Yeah. But Jeremy did have his fair run-ins with the law. Nothing major. Mm-hmm. Always kind of small stuff, like, you know, little misdemeanor, robbery, bouncing checks, shoplifting, little stuff. Oh, he starts that way, huh? But don't get it twisted. Every cop in the city knew who he was. Oh, I'm sure. They all Especially knew him even with his mom and family on site. violence. And then he runs around in black makeup and spiky hair. I just saw a picture. He's hard to miss. Yeah, he kind of stands out, especially yeah. when he's all goth out. Mm-hmm. And it was about 2005. It was about that time his mom got uh, arrested that he really, the, I think the goth life at this point finds Jeremy. Mm. I don't think he finds it. I think it finds him because he dabbled with it. But him and his bu- his his friend Grant just dove into it right here. They fully embraced it. Dark clothes, black eyeliners, spiked hair, some serious fucking heavy metal. When I looked at some of the bands they were looking at, I mean, mm-hmm. they're talking again, Cradle of Filth, Slipknot, and this one I've never heard of. It's called Children of Bodom. Bottom. Oh, B O D O M. I don't know it. I think it's Children of Bodom. I've heard of them. Yeah. You know why? Hmm. That band's name is, they're named after a real life incident in 1960 where four teenagers were camping by Lake Bodom. Three of them were murdered. Heard one that lived. case. Yeah. One lived. That's, That's what right. the band's named after. Yeah. Bands like Cradle of Filth are what helped Jeremy with his interest in vampires and werewolves. Okay. Cradle of Filth had a lot of like dark, devil-y type stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vampires, werewolves, dragons, like all that crazy shit. Um, that you they kind of associate with the darkness, the dark. So all stuff. the shit you listen to, all the shit I listened to growing <laughs> up, um, and still, yeah. And it was it was really the lyrics that kind of called to him. He like yeah. He, he was, even considered himself or thought of himself as a lyricist and a poet later. I was about to say he probably considered himself a lyricist, and I mean he, he considered he himself does. a werewolf, right? Later on, you'll see a lot of notes uh, that he writes him back and forth with him and Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, Always quoting movie or music, always doing those things. I didn't go on a deep dive on all, yeah. the, all of both of their postings because they post like a fuck ton later. Yeah. I could do a whole episode of the shit they posted, but it's always like these dark music lyrics and he writes these fucking poems and I'll read one or two of them today and you're going to be like, Jesus. <laughs> um, but he really thought he was a lyricist. He loved the darkness and the pain. 
mm-hmm. in everything, and you see that in everything he writes. And eventually he thought that the werewolf theme would add to his gothic persona, and it was at this point he really separated from his, his friends, his, his earlier friends that he kind of had, and really dove into the goth community because the younger kids fucking loved him. They thought he was oh, like sure. the second coming of the goth Jesus or whatever they think of. Well, he's a freaking 300-year-old werewolf. Facts. <laughs> so one thing to note is that many people, and it's often said that it was often it was widely known uh, that Jeremy suffered from FASD, which is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Oh, no. Which is uh, one common characteristic that they have with that. They hang out with younger people. Yeah. Because they don't emotionally and mentally develop. Okay. Well, they do, just not along with the rest of them. They, they do, but yeah, not like at a normal pace that right, everybody right. else does. And his mom's a known alcoholic. She mm-hmm. swears she wasn't drinking when he was a baby, but he, he was diagnosed he's diagnosed with it, with it okay. right? Okay, okay. Really and you know, like sad. I said, he, he had that lower maturity rate. This is probably why he got diagnosed with it. He had developmental roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Um, he even had ADHD. And then he had he did have somewhat of a mental, diminished capacities for mental and emotional things. Like He, he definitely okay. does. You, okay. can, you can see the way he acts. What he says, mm-hmm. he acts like he's 15. So, yeah, he's he acts way younger, whereas Jasmine acts way older. Right. So they both, honestly, if, reading through the story, and this is my personal thoughts on it, mm-hmm. you know, they both act like they're between 14 and 16 years old. So they're about the same age mentally. Mentally, they're the same. They are. You can hear mm-hmm. them how they talk to each other, the things they do. They're mentally the same age, but they're still very much both children. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming they cross paths at one point. Well, <laughs> we said that. Remember I said she saw at the end of her story, her part, I said, and that's when she met 22-year-old Jeremy. Oh, that's right. We already went down that road. So, like we said, JR and Jeremy would be introduced formally at the mall one day by her friend, even though they had run into each other before in the little okay. goth circle. But this time, she was like really introduced to him. She thought he was like kind of cute or whatever. Probably being um, set up, maybe. Well, I mean, it, was, it didn't take much longer. It was like a couple months later in December 2005, the two started dating. Yeah. They quickly bonded over the trials of their lives as, mm-hmm. you know, a goth with that emotional emo type, oh, poor me thing. Yeah. So now, you know, JR's parents have issues with her. She doesn't fit in. He's like, my family beats me and I'm partially brain dead from alcohol my mom drank. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to make his much more drastic than hers because uh, it was. And being beat by my stepfather, one I've, of my many stepfathers. I've had three stepfathers that beat the shit out of me. My mom was in jail because she stabbed her boyfriend. Now, what about you? Oh, my parents don't like how I dress. Okay, I got you. <laughs> Because uh, that was really the worst thing that was going on in her life. And her parents didn't even disapprove of it. They're like, she's young. She's experimenting. She's not yeah. hurting anybody. Yeah. So they didn't really have a problem with it until now. Now they really started to have an issue because she was hanging out with, remember Raven and Trenchcoat who were 19 and 21? <laughs> yeah, Raven and Trenchcoat. And now Jeremy j- jumps in here and he's 22. Mm-hmm. So she's hanging out with 20-year-old dudes and she's 12. So, of course, her parents were like, oh, not happy about this. So, JR's parents had really been at war with, I mean, they started going to war. No other way to put it. I would. Uh, about her, rebe- her rebellious nature. They were tired of associating with other guys, the older guys. Uh, she was going all out all night, sneaking out, going to concerts, even though they didn't approve. She'd sneak out through a basement window. No. Um, that comes into a play later. We have 12-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, and she's 12. Um, <laughs> a family friend of theirs recounts a photo that she saw from Christmas, and now she hadn't seen the family since they moved to oh, yeah. Medicine Hat. This friend hasn't seen him in, in forever and describes the family as looking how they always looked. They don't look any different. They just look happy. Oh, that like they sent her a photo? Yeah, they sent her like a Christmas okay. photo or something. I think it was a Christmas photo. Yeah, it was a photo from the Christmas. And they all looked the same except for the rebellious teen in the side of the picture. She said, and I quote, JR was standing there, totally gothed out. She had a black t-shirt, black eyeliner, 
and a collar. She's dead stone-faced, as if she's just looking off to the side. She probably didn't even look like herself, which, again, there's nothing wrong with goth, but it just didn't it's look just, like the you know, kid they haven't that seen they her in knew. a couple years, and they're yeah. like, what happened to that child? Yeah, it was just, just reiterating the stark difference in her. She would see Jeremy you know, behind her parents' back. She didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. If they were out of the house, he, she'd invite him over, or he'd pick her up down the street or drop oh, her off, from, no. pick her up from school and drop her off down the street from the house so they wouldn't see him. Um, they never called her. He never called her at home. They would talk on these sites because they didn't want her parents yeah. finding out. And a lot of those sites, like Nexa, Nexapia, I think I'm saying it right. I don't know anything about it, but that was one they frequented a lot. Okay. Never um, heard of that one. And she loved all the attention she was getting. She, well, I'm sure. She's loving the attention. But, you know, things with her parents keeps keep spiraling. It keeps spiraling. You know, one night she's babysitting her little brother uh, and her friends are out and she just decides, I'm going to go with my friend down to 7-Eleven, get some shit. Leaves her brother Jacob in the house. Uh, Jacob, frightened because he can't find his sister or her friend, uh, he calls his parents. Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck, I don't know what's going on. They come home. She's still not home. So they're fucking pissed like we would be. Yeah. Right? So, you know, her parents ground her. And at this point, she says, she literally says, I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. JR can't take this? She can't take it anymore. Yes. Horrible parents restricting her. You know, Horrible. her and her brother at this point didn't get along anymore. Well, he, no, he, she's impossible right she, now. He was annoying her with every, everything. Like everything he did annoyed her. And he apparently, admittedly, was afraid of her and refused to walk home with her from oh, school. no, that's not good. Now, this is, according to Jeremy, this is one of those fucking, I don't really know if this is a real story. There was at one point, uh, he saw JR choking her brother, and it freaked him out. Oh. I don't really buy it, but I kind of do, because I know what happens later on. Mm-hmm. But I kind of don't. So the two became quite active on the site. Um, she claimed to be about 15 and didn't bother Jeremy because everybody he hung out with was 13 to 25. It's so odd to me. It is. Yeah, he would write her dark poems like we talked about, listing heavy metal bands. Uh, he, wanted, he wrote some dark shit like talking about how he wanted to kill prostitutes, play with their insides, and eat them. Oh. He would use racial slurs that I was not going to repeat on here. No, we're not. Um, as his dis- dislikes. So his dislikes, he would write down there and he would use racial slurs. <gasps> oh, um, my gosh. And he went by the, the, the username... Soul Eater 52. I stand by my stanky comment yeah. now. He and JR would message each other also on like vampirefreaks.com where he professed <laughs> to be a 300-year-old werewolf and or no, vampire on this one and listed his age as 213 years old. But I thought you were a werewolf. No, he's a vampire on this place. Okay. Like they would just do this all night long. I'm she wasn't allowed out anymore. She yeah. couldn't go to the show. So they would just basically sit there messing each other on these websites. Messing um, each other. Messaging each other <laughs> on these websites. I pulled a Courtney. <laughs> Message other on these websites. Um, and they're pretty much consumed with each other. Like infatuated at this point. I predict this is going nowhere good. It's not. Uh, at this point, her parents, you know, they had enough. They took her fucking computer. Mm-hmm. So what she do? She goes to the library. <laughs> I was just about to say I would take their computer. She, but, they yeah. did. She, she finds a way. She went to the library. She finds a way, doesn't she? And she's going there just to message him. That's the only reason she's going there. Even her friends were starting to become uncomfortable with it. They're saying shit to her like, hey, he's 23. That's not mm. normal. And she's like, no, he says he's 17. She admitted later saying like she knew he wasn't 17, but she just didn't care. No, she'll lie to get what she wants apparently back then. You know, they would keep doing these things back and forth. You know, on one occasion on March 13, 2006, he sent her – Soul Eater 52 sent Runaway Devil a message saying, hey, can we kill people together? Just so casual. Like, hey, what are you doing Friday? Do you want to yeah, go Can we get movie? together and kill people? And she's like, yeah. Do you want to kill people? She goes, yeah, we shall. 
We shall. We shall. We shall. Not okay. It's yeah, we they, shall. You know, they talked more dark stuff, more talk of killings. <laughs> uh, they talked about how the, she wanted to be his werewolf lover, and they wanted to marry. And talked of a goth wedding and running away to a castle in Europe. He even gave her a vial of his blood. <laughs> he, Very early 2000s Angelina. <laughs> he would talk to his friends about killing people and always like joke about it. His favorite movie uh, was Natural Born Killers. I, that's not surprising. That's not surprising. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a story of two childhood lovers that basically go on a mass murdering spree. The, mu- the movie has come under a lot of fire back when it came out, especially after this. Yeah. Uh, and then if you remember... It came under a lot of fire after Columbine because if you remember correctly, their code name those douche turds used were all the was NBK. Yeah, the natural born killer. That was the code name for their plan. But you know that's one thing that we talked about and say Panic Panic. We got to be careful with tossing blame around. I know you weren't, but we got to be careful tossing blame around to movies and music. No, I just I'm just referencing it because it keeps oh, no, referencing a lot in this one. Yeah. So as we see, you know, this pattern just continues. I could yeah. go on and on. I'm going to cut some of it. She just didn't love her parents anymore. She was telling him she felt like a prisoner at home. It's not very typical 12-year-old girl dramatic Yeah, but it's, it's about to get to another level. It's about to break. Yeah. And Jeremy's just in the darkness waiting for that. Mm-hmm. So in about March of 2006, JR sent him an email setting, thing in motion, setting things in motion that she would supposedly relate or regret. Okay. Supposedly. She sent him a note saying, Rar, I hate them, so I have a plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. So we're set. Just she wrote, she wrote all this out she wrote that and to sent him. it to him. And so he re- there's evidence of and he it replies, that is later found. Yeah, he replies back to her like, "I like it, but we need to come more creative plan." Yeah, because like it's how super we do it, boring. Shit. Like yeah. how we do it, shit. Mm-hmm. And then he responded again with a chilling fucking poem. This is the only one I'm going to read from him. Okay. My girlfriend's parents are totally unfair. Mm-hmm. They say they really care. I don't know what is going on. They just assume as their greed continues to consume. She is slowly going insane. She continues to think that I came into her life to help her out and to stop what they keep trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit that they have done, especially when I see to that that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Oh, boy. How... Tell me that doesn't fucking run a chill down the back of your spine hearing that shit. It, well, knowing what I know about the crime scene, you previously briefly described definitely spine-chilling shit. Also very cringy, but it, very spine-chilling. Yeah. They, uh, it keeps on going. They keep on talking about it. I have paragraphs of them talking about... They're romanticizing... Killing and... This murder. is what she, she said. She wished her parents would, were dead and this is what he needs to do for her and they just kept pushing things forward begging him to kill her he actually went to his friend grant if you remember grant was like yo dude i trust you mm-hmm. i need your help because i think I, could, I need your help to go kill her parents and grant like the smart person he was said fuck you dude you crazy yeah literally he's the only one with any sense in this <laughs> his friends like i said used to hear him talking about it you know but one night uh, in april he's lost in his thoughts fully drunk as fuck with his friends mm-hmm. drinking smoking watching natural born killers and at one scene in the movie after killing the parents of a child in the show, in the mm-hmm. movie, the main, the two main characters let the kid go. And Jeremy proclaims that's where it's going to be different. JR going to kill her brother. Wow. Yeah. His friends were oh used gosh. to it. 
But at this point, they're like, this is getting a little weird for you because you usually talk about killing people, but you're on another fucking level right now. Yeah, and and what's so odd to me is, too, if you were really looking into doing something like this, they are leaving, you know, a trail. On, I, I'm sure they're not they're even not. thinking about they're that. They're 12 but 23. They're stupid. I know. But, I mean, they're... They're telling... They're outright telling people. Telling everybody. Posting about it everywhere. They're just flat it's out saying It's crazy. It. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that's just how they are. Right? So, this last night, everyone's like, oh, this is a little weird. He's a little fucking off his rocker tonight. And then I'd about be worried. 2 a.m., one of his friends was sleeping on the couch. Uh, they're over at his mom's trailer. And there's a couple of them sleeping there. Uh, and his friend's trying to sleep. And over here's Jeremy on the phone saying, are you sure you want to do this? He was like, what the fuck is Jeremy doing? He called to him. Jeremy didn't mm-hmm. put an answer. He's like, whatever, I'm going back to bed. He said, then he heard uh, Jeremy slam the door and get in the car and leave. Jeremy had, he had I would left, have called the police. Well, he had left to go to a friend's house to get some cocaine mm-hmm. um, because he was too much of a little bitch to carry mm-hmm. out what he was thinking about doing on his own. Um, Without some courage? Yeah, so he would end up hanging out with some friends, and they would consume beer, pot, cocaine, ecstasy, vodka, and vampire wine, which is like a novelty wine you can buy at the store. It's like, oh, okay. vampires. I didn't know if it had like blood in it. No, no, that's what I thought at first. So I re- looked into it and was like, no, it's like. Just red wine. It's red wine that they, the company's like, it's vampire wine or whatever. It was like $20 <laughs> a bottle. Yeah. So then he uh, left all fucked up on all that shit. Mm-hmm. Goes down to the convenience store because he wants to get gum because JR hates when he smells like smoke. Okay. Uh, and then he drove down the street to JR's house. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a quick break. Oh, leave us hanging. We'll leave you hanging on that point because it's. Hey, we're back. Yay. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I haven't chased you too much away at this point. I'm not liking where this is headed, but I'm yeah, interested now. You're really not going to like where it's heading. So at this point, major fucking trigger warning. As I wrote in oh, the starting notes, now? yeah. As I wrote in the notes, trigger warning, like a motherfucker right here. Did you really write that? Well, I said mother. <laughs> oh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So serious trigger warning: if you don't like violence, if you don't like violence against children, just skip ahead. Well, who likes that? If you don't, a lot of people just don't even want to hear about it. Oh, yeah. So that's, go ahead and skip. If you're extra sensitive. like is not the right word I use there. That was the wrong word. But yeah, if you're if it's something that bothers you, skip ahead. So Jeremy entered the Richardsons' house through the same basement window that JR always used to sneak out. This time, in his hoodie, he had a knife. Deborah heard the noise and came finding, flying downstairs to the basement to find Jeremy. In all black goth attire, mm. makeup, <gasps> mask over his mouth, bandana, standing in the basement. So she didn't even know it was Jeremy because he's covered. No, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. You saw what he looked like without a mask and a bandana on. Yeah, he's a scary dude. Yeah. He attacked her. He launches at her. He didn't know what to do. So he just... Started stabbing her, and uh, she <gasps> screamed. Just right off the bat. She screamed, right? So then Mark, uh, hearing the blood-curdling scream, comes flying fucking down. And he sees Jeremy had just stabbed and killed his wife, basically. God. Let me tell you, this dude was a motherfucking fighter, bro. The dad? The dad was a badass. He was not going to let this shithead get free of what he did. Mm-hmm. So he grabbed a screwdriver and attacked Jeremy. It's quick thinking. Uh, he would end up giving Jeremy a black eye someplace that said he stabbed him in the eye with the screwdriver but didn't really cause any damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the while, they're fighting each other. Mark is a big 200-pound dude. He's probably oh, about wow. my size, beard, mustache. Just yeah. a burly-looking dude. Yeah. Jeremy's not. So they're fighting back and forth, and he's just stabbing her, her dad as they're fighting. Oh, no. Yeah. Mark was not going to let him get away. 
And Jeremy was now fighting out of, he was not only high out of fucking mind, angry, he's now terrified because he even admittedly said it fucking was scared of her dad when he attacked him. Yeah. yeah eventually, uh, Jeremy just kept stabbing and, and Mark would finally stop fighting him. Uh, he fell back and even pleaded to Jeremy. He said, why? And Jeremy would reply. So he knew him. it was Jeremy. Yeah, he knew it was Jeremy. Point. Okay. And at that point he would say, he said, why? Jeremy just says, it's what your daughter wanted. <gasps> his last. The last words he heard in his life before he died was that his, his daughter wanted him and his mother, his wife. Oh murdered. my. It's the last thing that man heard. God. I can't even. So that, that makes me sick. It's horrible. And I just want to say I that because wish he wouldn't have known that or he wouldn't have said that. You know what I mean? It's about to get worse. Okay. He then went upstairs to the second floor where the bedrooms were. He was exhausted, covered in blood. So that's where all the blood streaks come up the walls. Cause he's dragging himself. He's upstairs. dragging himself up the walls. And he's just kind of saw he's exhausted from fighting off her dad. And he sees Jr. And the first thing she says to him after he's covered in blood and panting and she later says that he knew she was down. He was down there killing him. You know what she says to this guy? Hmm. I love you. you oh, wow. Yeah, and this this plays, is definitely beyond. <laughs> this plays a massive role later on, though. Okay, yeah. but it was at this time that young Jacob came out scared, asking Jr. what was going on. Oh no! Uh, she hugged him. Wow! And then she tried to choke him. Uh, eventually, scratching her, he broke free. He fought. They stabbed him multiple times. He would say things like, I'm too young to die. No. But he fought. And there's, as the amount of the nature of his death and the the blood splatter and all this stuff they go over in the crime scene. Because he was fighting. He fought hard. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, obviously, they they murdered him. Mm -hmm. And in some places I read that he tried to defend himself with his toy lightsaber. No. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. At this point, Jeremy fucking- not okay. Yeah, I know. I told you this, this case is fucked up. At this point, Jeremy panics and just fucking leaves. Like without her? Leaves left JR. He said, hurry up, go pack your shit. She took too long. He fucking left. Out of his mind, gets in the truck, goes home. <laughs> On his way home, he has to puke because he's so fucked up. From guilt, fear, drugs, all this stuff. So he stops to puke. JR packs her stuff up, calls the cab. Actually, before she calls the cab, she calls the cab, walks down to the convenience store, Uses her mom's wallet, gets money out of the ATM, goes back to the, gets in the cab, goes to Jeremy's house. Jeez. And again, a lot of this is going to come into play later. And this is why I told you it changed my perception of this whole story. Once at Jeremy's place, uh, the couple bagged up Jeremy's bloody clothes, mm-hmm. had sex, and went to sleep. They had sex after. Multiple times. They've already been doing it. I know, but they had sex after doing that? Yeah, after doing that. So they woke up later that Afternoon, like lunchtime, he had some friends at the house. There was still, his friends were still sleeping at the house from drinking the night before with him. Because remember the ones that said he was all fucked up and he left? It's, it's only 12 hours later. Mm-hmm. So they're still, they're all waking up at noon with him and her there. So, and the two murdering lovers, along with one of their friends, they go to the liquor store because shit, they're out of booze. And then they go to an apartment party that's going on in the seedier part of town uh, that had been going on since like noon. So these two were partying, they're making out, they're laughing. They're dancing. They're drinking with all their friends. And mind you, while this is all going on, the gruesome crime scene is just being discovered literally down the fucking street. I I can't wrap my head around doing that and then just moving on with your life, having sex, drinking, partying. And it gets it, it just keeps getting my more and more. My stomach is literally turning. It gets more and more stoic. Too. It's crazy. At How one, are they? <laughs> I mean, at one point at this party, 
one of Jeremy's friends, James, and he's an important name to remember, he recalls that at the party, him and Jeremy and JR went into a back room to do drugs or do something. <laughs> Jeremy just goes, yeah, we killed my girlfriend's family last night. I gutted them like a fish. Holy. And JR chimes shit. in with, yeah, my little brother gurgled. No. No. I mean, what the actual fuck? I, oh, I, I was going to leave this out, but this is to me is so important because JR actually claims to be innocent of all the events at trial. But all these things leading up to it really become important at that point. I, I, I don't know. We'll talk about the, the crime later. I just want to go home. <laughs> I know. At this point, Jeremy actually enlisted the, friend, the help of his two friends. Uh, one was by the name of Casey. She comes in the story later. Okay. To move his truck. They basically hid it for him and said, oh, no, we weren't hiding it. We were moving it so no one would break into it. Are they and they're aware of what they did? Now, yeah. I, at the time, I don't know if they were. Yeah. They really would find out sooner or later. But inside of the car, they ended up wiping down the car. All the blood and shit that was in there. They, his they friends did, did that for One him. knew about it. And the other friend said she was so high, she had no idea what they were cleaning. She thought it was rust. Oh, I was going to say you're So she's high out of her it, mind, maybe? and the other one's just like, okay, I got you. Because this girl, Casey, apparently would do anything. Apparently she was like in love with Jeremy. Okay. So she would like do anything. She's like a groupie. Do anything he wants. Hard for me to believe she didn't know that that much blood. Yeah. Yeah. But here's another, it's going to get triggery warning again. <laughs> last trigger, really, okay. really bad one. Last, last bad one. Again, Ugh. you don't like crime scenes, don't listen. This is the crime scene. Okay. So back at the house, the police began to uh, dig into the crime scene. As they went through the front door, nothing was out of the ordinary uh, except for a large red smear on the back door and blood smears going up and down the stairs. Uh, as they moved around the house towards the stairs, that's where obviously everything changed from the normal looking house. The stairs had smeared blood all the way up the stairs, down and both. Upstairs, they found a knife kind of rinsed off sitting in a pool of water and blood on the bathroom sink. Outside the bedroom, it was covered in blood. Uh, as they entered the room, they saw Jacob's gruesome scene. Uh, and by all accounts, there was blood literally covering everything. Uh, he'd been stabbed four times. He was laying on the bed, large wound on his neck. It was referred to showing signs of a bloodletting event. Mm-hmm. So for those that know what a bloodletting event is, once you cut someone to bleed them, mm-hmm. that's what they described this crime scene as in his, his, his wound in his neck. Yeah. Uh, he had been, he'd been stabbed in the end five time, four times. Uh, he even had signs of strangulation. They talked about in the medical reports, Did like that. his eyes and stuff Previously, showed that he, from when yeah. she choked him. Mm-hmm. However, um, no forensics could prove that because mm-hmm. the wound to his neck was so severe. It had severed his thyroid gland, his jugular, his larynx. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they literally almost ear to ear. I mean, they cut this. So this they throat. couldn't prove that strangulation was. They knew it was because that was the only thing they could have done that to his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just couldn't prove it for anything on the neck, like a crushed larynx or marks because it was just so cut apart. As they continued to process the scene, they returned downstairs and went to the basement. Uh, and that's where Deborah was at the base of the stairs with JR's father, Mark, both covered in blood and wounds. Mark had 24 stab wounds, some as deep as 11 centimeters, one even entering his lung. Uh, none of them were considered the fatal blow. They were just all like a massive amount of and Loss of blood, yeah. yeah. So it was a slow death. Yeah. Well, I remember he's talking to him at the mm-hmm. end of it. Deborah had been stabbed 12 times. Her lungs and stomach had been punctured. Uh, one stab wound even punctured the aorta uh, by her heart, and that was considered the fatal wound. Okay. They cut her aorta. Yeah. Uh, investigators said the room was covered in blood from both ends, walls to ceiling. We talked about that. I imagine. Uh, but they talked about it. They brought in a forensic expert, a blood spatter guy, like a literal blood spatter guy. Mm-hmm. He actually, in the book, they go into more detail. He actually lists the number of 
samples in the room. So he's, he breaks the blood out into two things. One is pooling. One is like splatter. Mm-hmm. And he'll say things like by Mark's body, there was 75 different splatter marks mm-hmm. and a hundred different pooling marks. Yeah. Like it, it's just astronomical. The numbers this dude puts out. That's insane. Well, all these stab wounds and stuff. They're still processing it. And, and one it thing. It took a while to process that one. Took, it took over 24 hours mm-hmm. um, because there was so much blood and it was such a rage, violent mm-hmm. killing. The one thing that did stand out the most to law enforcement was that JR's room was perfectly pristine. That stood out to me the first time you Except read the the bloody print on the door, mm-hmm. on the light switch, as if someone with a bloody hand turned the lights off. Yeah. <laughs> That's Leaving. All. Yeah. That's telling. Um, one of the officers who was ex-military said this was the worst thing he had seen in his life. Oh, I... Um, and it was noted that him. Mark fought the entire time and he still referred to as a warrior and he should be. Good for him. So police are like, okay, where the fuck is this JR kid? Because mm-hmm. now it's 24 hours. She's been missing. Family's dead. Where the fuck is she? So they're freaking out. It's Monday. They go to the fucking school. Maybe she's there. Maybe she's been there the whole time. Maybe she slept over at a friend's house. Let's go check. Now she's not there. So at this point, police put her as a missing person, put her shit up everywhere. Yeah, just in case she was abducted. Well, that's what they still think she was abducted or killed. She's 12. That's what anyone exactly. would think. Uh, and this is where things start to take a different turn. The school administrators had no idea. They're trying to figure out what's going on. So they opened her locker with the cops. And inside the locker, they found a binder. The binder had a 12-panel cartoon, like you would see in a newspaper or something like that. I sent you it to sent you. That to me. You're going to be able to post it up for everybody else if you want to. Okay. Um, the cartoon depicted multiple, multiple scenes. Uh, some were of two stick figures. Watching three other stick figures burning alive. This is dark as shit, by the way. In one scene, the stick figure is running to a truck that's labeled Jeremy's truck. <laughs> and this, and like Courtney says, this shit gets dark. Just so there's um, no mistake. Jeremy's truck. Show gas being poured on three of the stick figures through the sprinkler system. One shows the three burning and screaming, saying things like, Oh no, we're burning alive. Help, my flesh is burning off. The final picture depicted the two stick figures laughing, saying, Ha ha, you're burning alive. Verbatim. That's what I'm reading it says. It's, I mean, we, ha- we you guys can see it. We'll post it. And one thing to note is that the handwriting... Oh, they found a note. I'm sorry. They found a note. And later, the handwriting on that would be identified as JR's. Yeah, it looks like a young girl's handwriting. And the note is, May the hatred and anger built in the blazing infernos fill you and overcome you. May the pains of a thousand tortured souls come upon you like the scalding blade and eclipse all other noble feelings. May your hopes, dreams, and happiness fall into the swirling pit of despair and never return. May your peace of mind and safety be forever gone. May the black come over you and the pain never end. May all you may all you love be stolen and destroyed just out of reach to never feel such joys again. Amen. Okay. Yeah, she's fucked up. After seeing this, administrators knew exactly who it was in the cartoon. They're yeah. like, we've seen her with fucking Jeremy Stanky. Mm-hmm. That's who that is. That's Jeremy's truck. And as, at this point, this is the point in the story where JR, the once innocent 12-year-old girl, is no longer a missing person. She's She's wanted for murder. Mm -hmm. Her photo had been released to the media as a missing person. Mm -hmm. See, Canadian law, because she's a minor, Mm -hmm. they can't go out and say, hey, this is the murderer or could be the murderer. We think she's guilty. Because she's a minor. Because she's a minor. But it lurks in their advantage because they already posted up she was a missing person. Mm -hmm. So they've already got people looking for her. So they just didn't say anything to the media because, well, they're not allowed to and they just didn't because people are already looking for this missing person. Because technically she is missing, so it's not... She is still technically missing, yeah. Yeah. You know, it it was not going all great for them at the moment uh, mm-hmm. until a young man came in to talk to them. Uh, this young man's name was James. Oh, okay. 
And he detailed the damning. And his fr- his friend. His friend that okay. was in the party with him. Jeremy's that friend said what he said with mm-hmm. Jr. Good. Somebody had some fucking. And this sense. kid went to the police and told the damning story of how Jeremy and Jr. bragged to him in the back room of a party about gutting her family and how her brother gargled. All of his friends thought that it was weird that he was saying this shit. Why didn't anybody call? Because he'd been saying it so much over the years, but this time they just said he was different when he was saying it. He like he was. Well, then call someone. They thought he was just fucked up. Because he's always fucked up. They're all always fucked up. So they just thought he's like really drunk tonight or really high. Still not. And they're probably drunk and high, so they're like, fuck it, whatever, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's still no excuse. Somebody should have called. By this time, though, JR and Jeremy had enlisted the help of Casey. Yeah. Good old Casey's coming to the rescue. And two more friends. And they fled town that night. And, and She's a girl that has a crush on Jeremy, right? She's the one that, she's the one that cleaned the car for him. Yeah. Oh, shit. So they end up running away, fleeing town. Can't find a gas station in town, so they drive like a town over. Like mm-hmm. a town over. Uh, and they're going to go to the gas station there in Leander, uh, where wouldn't you know it, everyone's fucking looking for them. Whoa. Everyone's looking for them. And at this point, I skipped a whole bunch of the dirty, dirty police work, but they know that they're with Casey and Casey's truck. Okay. So they know they're with Casey or her car. So I didn't want to go into all that detail. Yeah. But they do know that they're looking for not just Jeremy and him, but they're looking for the other friends too. Okay. So when they pull up to the gas station, the three girls go inside, leaving Jeremy and Jr. in the car because they're hiding. They're actually when they're later on a few minutes when they're found, they're actually under a blanket, and they saw the blanket moving like someone was breathing. And they pulled the blanket back, and they were under there, and Jr. didn't even have pants on. So Jasmine and Jeremy were under the blanket, and they were found fucking. I don't know if they were fucking or what they were doing, but they just said she didn't have pants on. Um, but when Casey and the other two girls went into the store. They came back out with a newspaper that had photos and a story of a couple and a boy who were murdered. And they took it back to JR and and to uh, to Jeremy and they laughed. To the police? No, to the paper at the paper with their friends. I know, but the police the police aren't that? there yet. I okay, skipped ahead okay. on that by accident. Okay. I was just saying that they were in the car when the cops okay. came in. So we're not the cops aren't quite there yet. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So they see the newspaper and Jeremy's like, don't even look like you. Wow. Uh, it would be noted later on during her testimony in court that Casey would note that zero one of them had any fucking reaction and that even more so JR didn't even flinch at the pictures or the news. And like, also their friends are fucking aiding and abetting. Well, she's looking at this girl now like, I know what happened and you don't even fucking care. Yeah. I mean, I hope she turns like, fuck? I hope she's. Well, she's not a good person girl. in the story here. You know, they were briefly, they left the gas station. They were briefly followed by police. Uh, they were stopped in a school parking lot before school hours, uh, which kind of added some complexity to what happens. And they were all arrested. There's a whole section of what happens here, mm-hmm. like hijinks. Like the girls are destroying shit, all of them. They're like ripping the cars apart. Jeez. They're, they found JR with no pants on. They're like, oh, the cop's going to rape JR. Oh, let's oh just tell God. them they're touching us and all that. Like, they were just creating fucking havoc. Yeah. And these cops had to get them out of there because school was coming in like yeah. an hour. So. They ended up getting all of them, and they took them all and put them under custody, um, even at the police Who station. Who all was arrested? I, Casey, Jeremy, Jr., and the other two girls whose names I didn't put in here. I, okay. I just kept the main character. Just names a group here. of their friends. Just a couple more of their goth friends. That were that eating were, and That were running around with Casey and them. Okay. I don't okay. know if the other two even knew what was going on at first. I know Casey probably knew and was going to help out, like we said, her, I love him. I love Jeremy. The other He's two just were, such a catch. The other two were probably just like, shit, let's go do something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It doesn't. There's nothing really talked about about that. Like I said, there's a whole shit ton of stuff that goes on at this point that I kind of left out because uh, they're like, yeah, we'd be here all day. 
we'd be here all day with the shit they were causing. But even at the police station, they were all fucking wilding out. It's crazy. Um, but now, nearly 30 hours after the murder of her brother, her mother, and her father, the mm-hmm. aptly named runaway devil, uh, and that's what she's being referred to at this point in the news Jasmine and everywhere. Richards. Uh, and her boyfriend were in custody. JR was 12 years old and six months. 12. And today, she, that day, she became the official youngest person in Canadian history to be charged with multiple homicides. Mm-hmm. So, no big fucking surprise here. Little ass JR is like, she's going to plead guilty. Or not guilty, I'm sorry. She plays innocent. She's the victim. She had no knowledge Jeremy was going to come over and do those things. Like, I didn't know. But as they keep interrogating her, I keep fucking changing. Right. Finally, she admits to holding her brother for Jeremy and even trying to strangle him until he passed out so he wouldn't feel the pain. She was doing him a service. So, thank um, you. Such an amazing big sister. She even admitted Bitch. to stabbing him once in the chest while her brother screamed, I'm too young to die. Hmm. Police offered her a chance to write an apology to her parents. Um, they're trying to build rapport. They're trying to, you know, connect. Like they had two different cops playing good cop, bad cop kind of thing. This one cop finally connects with her. He finally gets her to start talking, open it up. Okay. He, they use this tactic. There, maybe we get her flowing on emotions. We can use. She's twelve, right? Fuck. Yeah, some kind of confession. Get her maybe. to do something. Yeah. Um, so she writes an apology letter to her parents, and I'm gonna read it. It says, "Dear life, my lovely parental units." Jeez. I'm writing this in response to the events of Sunday morning. A terrible thing happened and something I feel was all my fault. I was peace upon your souls in Summerland, which was a reference to the Wiccan afterlife heaven type place. Okay. Uh, And to my little brother, I apologize for letting you hear what you did and for causing you any pain or frightening you. To my parents, I hope you know that through everything that's happened, I've loved you the whole time. I wish I could take it back. I wish it never happened. I wish you were here with me now because I'm alone. I have no one. I pray you can forgive me and Jeremy. Because he was under the influence of mind-altering drugs and did it out of love for me. He's possibly the kindest person I've ever met. He only wishes for me to be happy. Through the fights and hatred exchanges, I still loved you. Sorry that my sarcasm was taken to heart. I never meant to harm you. Pray you can be at peace. So fuck this girl. I don't believe any of that, judging this from girl. what we've read and what she's written herself. This like, note I just don't believe has so much to unpack in it and alone. Yeah. The first thing you picked up on is she calls them parental units. She doesn't even call them parents. She dehumanizes them or de- Right off the bat. Well, I know it takes was the humanity probably, like, we've jokingly been we called do, that, but, but lovingly. With her. It's not loving. <laughs> this is a whole different situation. And then yeah. the comment she makes at the end where she says, I'm sorry my sarcasm was taken to heart. Like, I'm sorry I joked about killing you and someone did it. That's literally what she fucking said right there. That wasn't a joke. You know what I mean? But, like, what the fuck? I know. So the police had earned her trust. They even started helping her pass love notes to Jeremy and Jeremy to her. Well, yeah, they're going to get more info that way. (laughs) And this was groundbreaking at the time because it was never used. It could be quite possibly the first time this has been used in a court. And like you said, it would be fucking damning. Mm -hmm. It fucked them both. Mm -hmm. Jeremy had remained quiet and stoic at this point. Says nothings. Finally, the investigators got on a break. You know how they got on a break? Mm. I'm condensing a long-ass interrogation I can process. Guess. I can guess that he he was told that Jasmine was blaming him for everything. I mean, that's a tactic they I would use. They used his love for JR and the story that JR confessed that he did it all. She had no idea what he was doing. It's a tale as old as time. She didn't know why he was there. She didn't know what he would do. I'm only 12. Yeah. Well, he broke the fuck down and talked about how she begged him to do it. She would beg him to do it. He detailed the murders, how they happened, and at the end of end of it, he talked about how he killed Mark, how mm-hmm. he killed Deborah, what he went there to do, everything. And at the end of it, 
There's one thing he denied, and he still denies to this day. That he killed the boy? He did not, in fact, kill Jacob. It was, yeah. in fact, his sister that slit his throat. I believe it was... To this day, in everything you read about him, he never said he killed that kid. I believe she... I believe it. And he took... He for took, some reason, I believe he it. He took the blame for the other... He said, I killed them. Mm-hmm. But this kid, he still to this day is like, fuck you, I didn't hurt the kid. That was her. I don't believe... Let me rephrase. I don't believe that he did anything to stop it. No, I mean obviously that. But, true, but I do believe that it changes the mo- it changes the storyline if she's the one cutting his throat, that. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the two would continue exchanging notes with the help of police for days. Then he spoke about marriage. Now she's talking about marrying the guy that, that just murdered her family, and her then she's family. claiming just murdered her family. She's talking about marrying him. Yeah. Um, I left it on notes all this, but it really leads that natural born killers, Bonnie and Clyde, almost Romeo and Juliet type thing. Which is why I left a lot of this out. Because we don't want to romanticize this. I do not want to romanticize this. And everything I read and everything I got to, they really focus on those things. Which is, you know, they're telling their way of the story. I didn't want to do that, like you said. I don't want to romanticize it. I want to take that out. It's going to make it appealing to the masses, but that's not what we want to do. This is not appealing. That's what it was. It was the storyline. This is sick. This was the storyline. The romance. The Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, blaze of glory. This is an awful tragedy that should have never happened. And that's why I didn't want to romanticize (laughs) it. That's why I left it out. Yeah. It also paints, when you look at it without that, it paints a different picture. Yeah, it does. Um, he even admitted to drinking blood. Uh, and he also admitted that during sex, JR would bite him and drink his blood. Gross. It's disgusting. So, Casey, we remember Casey. She was arrested. She was charged. She was charged for her involvement in the getaway, but I'm she struck she a fucking charged. plea deal. She knew. She fucking struck a deal. She got one year probation, house arrest. Okay. She was like, fuck you. I fucked up. Fuck them. You know what I mean? I'll tell you anything you need to know. Yeah. So JR and Jeremy's trials began on June 4th, 2007. So almost over a year mm-hmm. since the murders. Um, and it was a brutal trial. Again, I could probably do a whole episode on the fucking trial. Were they tried together? No, they were tried separately. Okay. She was tried in juvenile. Because remember, she's 12. Oh, she's duh. She was yeah. tried in juvenile court. And he was actually tried in a court outside of the area because they didn't think it would be a fair trial. Well, yeah, because it has gained garnered so much. He attention. was at the time. He was like this big bully, manipulative. And how big was their town? Was that big? Okay, yeah. So it's garnered. And he's already, attention. like we said, the manipulator. He's the twenty-three-year-old, which I don't think that's the case. It's going to be hard to find an impartial ju- jury for any of them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the both trials were absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, friends of both the suspects were interviewed in both trials. They were just they told him everything they had, good mm-hmm. and bad. I mean, they told him everything. Um, no one left anything out. Jeremy was picked apart in his trial by prosecutors. The evidence was fucking everywhere for him. Oh, yeah, they have the computer paper trail. The confessions. uh, He made the writings from before the killings. Mm -hmm. And when they were in jail, they're using the evidence, the notes there. He was even recorded confessing to the murders to what he thought was another inmate. Oh, shit. So the police put him undercover in a van with him to Mm -hmm. transport him. uh, And they just started talking in the back of the van. And the guy's like... He looked familiar. He was like, yeah, we're the ones that fucking did it. Blah, 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 blah. And he just talked a huge fucking game about how him and his oh, fucking so you're, girlfriend, you're proud about they're going to go get fucking married. They fucking love each other. Mm-hmm. He did it for her. Fuck them. They did. They killed him. So. Well, yeah, no remorse. <laughs> that was played in court. Yeah. Uh, he didn't stand a chance, man. No. The jury would deliberate for a day uh, before returning with a guilty verdict on all counts of first degree murder. He would have been sentenced on the spot, mm-hmm. uh, but it was actually requested that the sentencing be done in Medicine Hat. So the count, so the town could so, have closure. So he'd return there for sentencing. Sentencing. Okay. Um, oh shit. <laughs> during sentencing, family members of the slain family took to the stand. 
bitch-ass little Jeremy couldn't even pick his fucking head up. Well, no. I'm sure he was ashamed. Pussy. Three life sentences with no parole for 25 years. Even after being convicted and admitting to the murder of her parents, like I said before, he still proclaimed that he did not kill her brother. And what does he have to lose by confessing that? Now? That's my whole point. In that yeah. he not, he's, he's in life for the rest of his life. He's in jail for the rest of his life. Unless, and this is just spitballing, we all know that, you know. Well, Maybe because it's a kid, he doesn't want to look as monstrous. Yeah, and then prison, you know, they don't like child killers or, you know. True, but I don't think he has the mental but like thought I said, process to go yeah, But like I said before, I really doubt that he had a, now I don't think he did anything to stop the murder of no, Jacob, not at all. but I really think she had played the bigger hand in that. Yeah. And we'll kind of see a little bit more of that. Okay. Um, okay. JR in her trial. Oh no. So Jasmine. Uh, yeah. She's, she testified at her trial sticking to the, it's all Jeremy. It wasn't planned. She was confused. She was scared of him. And that's when the prosecution fucking destroyed her. First, I read the fucking transcripts. Yeah. Or not the actual transcripts, but the you know what people are using is what the storyline, yeah. what was told to them. I, I read it, and I, good God, this prosecutor is she fucking murdered her. It'll be easy to do. She I mean, threw I would think every chance she had to say it wasn't me. I'm not the monster here. Yeah, and it's like three pages of them going back and forth, and it's yeah. just like damn. She, she was on the stand. Yeah, she was testifying in That's- court. Wow, that's pretty um, ballsy she was, of her. Were, the defense thought they were going to say it was all Jeremy. She, she could get off at least with a second or third degree murder. Well, too, putting a 12-year-old on the stand, she's going to look like a little victim. You exactly, know? and he's the so big bad 23-year-old. So that's probably why her defense chose She's up for, for first degree murder, so maybe we can get that knocked down to like manslaughter mm-hmm. or involuntary or something. I have to ask you, did you by chance see her attire? Which did oh, yeah. she? There, there's no photos of her. In court, of course, she of was course. 12. I didn't know if there was anything in the description about if she. I'm, I'm sure she dressed. There was, there was very little in the description gothic. about that. Um, you know, the book that I got some of this stuff from that didn't really go into much description about her there. Okay, it was more about the court proceedings and how this prosecutor just literally fucked her up. I would assume her defense team. Her, you know, they, made her, her, her defense normal. team stood no chance. I mean, they threw everything at her. Like, so you went to the convenience store after this was all done, and then you got in a cab and you went to your friend's house after you had sex with your boyfriend. Or before. Mm-hmm. And you never, oh, yeah. you never asked for help? Not, not once. You didn't stop at the convenience store and ask for help? You didn't call 911? You didn't run to the neighbors? You didn't call anybody? And you were so upset. Right? Jeremy, you never asked him to stop? You never asked him why? What was he doing? Never took back saying I wanted to kill my parents? You never recanted any of the statements you made? Never said how you were, this wrong thing happened in your prison letters? You mm-hmm. never said it was, you felt bad? You never said remorse? You never showed anything? Even how she was fearing Jeremy? For when he killed her parents, and she claimed that she was afraid of what he would do if she didn't go along Terrified, with it. Yeah. And well, if you remember what she did when he came up those stairs, I said, "I love you." Yep, that was thrown out. That was thrown in there too. She was fucked. So everything why would you defense, say I love you if you were so terrified? Exactly. That's the whole defense or whole attack was everything you're saying is bullshit because your actions and everything you say counter that, right? He did what you wanted. That's yep. why you said that. In prosecution's closing argument, they argued saying Jr. a person of Jr. that a person in Canada can be found guilty of murder even without holding the murder weapon. See, in Canadian law, that does stand true. You can be convicted of murder by killing, mm-hmm. assisting the killer, counseling the killer on how to do it, or just being there going, yeah, fucking kill him. Wouldn't that be like first, second, and third degree murder? No, you, here? Can, you can still be charged with the actual first degree murder. Oh, wow. Okay. If Go you're off. doing the same thing. Like, if I'm planning, we plan it, yeah. and I egg you one, but I never hurt anybody, you're I can still, still be charged with first You can still be murder. charged with first. Okay. okay. Um, well, good. Senator Fry. Yeah. So the jury went to deliberate after closing arguments. And after 
only four hours, mm-hmm. which included a one hour lunch break. Okay. So three hours, that's all it took. The, the jury returned to the trial room, guilty on all charges. Good. She was now the youngest person in Canadian history to be convicted of multiple homicides. She was given the maximum sentence allowed under law. Okay. Don't okay. get excited. What was that? Don't get fucking excited. Okay. You see, this is where things get really angry, frustrating, oh, shit. pisses you off. She was sentenced to six years in prison and four years of supervision in the community. She's 12. She had already been in jail. Listen, she had already been in jail for 18 months. So that counted towards her six years. So she's out right now. So basically, um, we'll get there. So basically, she received four years in a mental institute and four years of a supervised release in like a halfway house for the three first degree murder convictions. And this was due to the Youth Criminal Justice Act in Canada, which allowed no more than 10 year sentence for a minor. She would also receive extensive mental health treatment while she was in there. Uh, since she was under 18, although they couldn't, because of her age, they couldn't officially diagnose her with anything like psychopathy or, or sociopathy, anything like that. Yeah. They don't d- diagnose that. Young. They just said that she was seriously disturbed and had a defiance for rules. If you're already not mad enough about this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make it even matter. If she had done this crime six months earlier, you know what her, her prison sentence would have been? What? Probation. Again, then again, I don't think you're expecting 11 year old murder. She's under 12. Under 12 is probation. I can't even. I'm so pissed off right now. I'm and shaking. This is what's going to piss you off even more. Um, and then we'll get you back, I promise. But as of 2020, per her release terms, uh, if Jasmine stayed out of trouble when she was released in, I think, 2016, her entire record would be expunged with no restrictions. <gasps> she would never have to let another human being on the planet know she murdered her family unless she wanted to. Even an employer? Even an, anyone. Her husband. Husband, employer, kids. any legal. She was. It is completely off her record. Three counts of first-degree murder for killing her parents and her little brother are expunged. How the fuck does that happen? I don't know. Canada, what happened? <laughs> she would actually be released uh, and even deemed a poster child for rehabilitation. I mean, I'm glad. I just, it's not, it's not, I don't feel comfortable with If you remember that. Officer Skondiak, he was the one who first found little Jacob. Uh, he later said that he didn't think she was truly evil. He had met people like that, mm-hmm. and she wasn't one of them. But he would also go on to say that his biggest fear was that she wasn't rehabilitated and she had just tricked everyone, mm-hmm. hadn't moved on. But he hoped she finally took responsibility and moved on with her life. Uh, she currently lives at an undisclosed location in Canada. Uh, just know it's not the town because the town said, the mayor said, yeah, she can be released, but not here. Okay. Uh, and partly that was for her own safety. I, I'm going to agree with that. Um, I'm sure I doubt she would go back there anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the absolutely tragic story of how Jasmine Richardson and her boyfriend, Jeremy Stanky, Stinky, uh, <laughs> Stinky, really. And he's serving three life sentences. He's serving three life sentences. He's had his last um, appeal thrown out. But this is the story about their murder, how they murdered her father, Mark Richardson, her mother, Deborah Richardson, and her eight-year-old brother, their son, Jacob. Although JR admitted to stabbing her brother, neither one of them to this day has ever taken credit for executing the young child. Do you, did you read anything about if she kept in contact with Jeremy after they were both sentenced? I didn't see much mm-hmm. um, at that. I didn't want to dive into that. I, they tried to keep in touch for a little bit, mm-hmm. but she was in and out of mental institutes and stuff like that. Not they probably prison. wouldn't allow it. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't in places where they would allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of faded off and, you know, they talk about getting married and all those things, but they, there's not a lot known about her anymore. I don't know if she still goes and visit him under another. They don't know if she goes by a different name. 
they don't know if they she goes no, no one knows anything about her she's mm-hmm. just a ghost triple murderer the youngest one in the history of Canada is a ghost living in Canada and can move on with her life no one will ever and know and her little brother can't could be your fucking neighbor and you would never know it her little brother can't does, isn't afforded that luxury her parents weren't either I mean it's just I don't see justice in that but there was no justice in that and that's that's why this stuck with me so much is you know I said it to you but you know, you take the romanticism away, you take the ideology away when you dive into this case that it's all Jeremy, right? He's the influencer. When you start really looking into it, Jeremy is stupid and well, immature. if you just wrote it on paper for me without any of the, the things that we talked about, if you just wrote on paper, 12-year-old girl and 23 her 23-year-old boyfriend are convicted of killing their I would think oh, she yeah. wouldn't have done this. Without, it was all him. It was all him. But knowing what I know... God, she sounds like the instigator. Exactly. And was, I'm only saying that because the, the the facts that I read that you sent with the things that she wrote. He it, was an she was an instigator. It was, she was an instigator. She was he was even saying things that I mean there's some of the stuff I left out. There was times where she was she begged him. Begging him and he would tell his friends, I gotta do this or she's gonna leave me. Yeah. He thought he was gonna lose her. He really thought that if he didn't kill her parents, she would leave him. It's not saying Trust me, he's no angel. No, Hate not him. at all. Hate but him. he is not. The, I don't think he is <laughs> but, the monster in this story. Oh, I think he's a monster. What do I think he would have done this without her influence? No, probably not. Yeah. He probably would have been in jail for something else, but not this. Yeah, no. This I think he's not the monster of the story. Is he a monster? Yes. This story, he's not the one. It's her. She is. At least I can't speak she is, to how she is now, but I get the sense that she preys on the weaker for sure. She's one of those personalities that is so manipulative and domineering that she definitely preys on the weaker to get what she wants. Cause she couldn't do that with her family when she was younger. So she used old Jeremy and owned her skills, yeah. but she, yeah. to me, it's, it's her stoic remorseless nature. I don't even want to speculate. I don't know enough, you know, to speculate what, what that could be. I mean, Jeremy freaked out. I mean, he was high and drunk and shit too. He freaked out and didn't want to stay there. She just went back upstairs, washed the knife, packed her clothes, turned the lights that off. That says a lot, especially at 12 years old, that that wouldn't affect you. That's your mom. That's literally no emotion. That's your dad. You just killed your little brother in that way. and Even if you you're fine. didn't do it, but you were right there for it. You're so fine. You can go and have sex with your boyfriend after and then go yeah, to a party. After you dispose of the dirty, bloody clothes. Then that's, take a nap and go to a party. That's, that's pretty terrifying. That's something I... Uh, that scares me that that's, you know, out <laughs> amongst yeah, just us. Just walking around, supposedly yeah. rehabilitated. And I, have to, I hope she is. I have to believe that four years of psychotherapy made I, her better. I hope. Because she probably wasn't getting that much help in the halfway house or wherever she was. I hope it did. I hope that something very specific was found with her and it was medicated and she's in therapy and rehabilitated and she's truly yep. remorseful. I'm that's, not saying, you know, like, like I don't like hope that, that. Like that officer said, I mean, he hopes that that's what happened. But he sure doesn't know if it is. Hell makes me uncomfortable knowing. <laughs> wow, Pat. That was a, that was a good story. Yeah. So that's, I mean, well, that's the story, the story of the runaway devil and the murder of the Richardson family. Okay. Well, you sure you want me to keep doing these? Honestly, you're I like, mean, yeah, I want to break. <laughs> Honestly, you did pretty good, I have to say. Good job. Yeah, it's hard condensing that much. There's a literally 300-page book with this. And once oh, you get yeah. into it, and it's then, like a rabbit hole when you get into it. Oh, there. yeah, and then you can do off searches of different like rabbit said, holes to go down. I could do a whole episode about their social media and their postings and another one about the court trial. Mm-hmm. Just how verbatim how she got destroyed. Oh, I'd love to be a fly in that courtroom. 
and you can read some a bunch of it in that mm-hmm. book if you want to. Like I but yeah, that's it. Thanks for letting me take the reins. Absolutely. I'll be back next week with uh, with a true crime case. Another doozy. Another doozy. Pretty yeah. sure it'll make mine look like fucking Cinderella. Nah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but we love you guys. Be good to each other. And we will see you back here same time next week. Bye.